0: Welcome to Connect the Dots podcast, presented by Nine Dots and hosted by Jeffrey Klein. We explore stories of success and their multitude of dots that are connected along the way. Sharing these stories, our aim is to provide some context to the path of success, which is often paved with obstacles, challenges, victories and celebrations. Thank you for listening. Here is your host, Jeffrey.
1: I am so excited for my inaugural guest for Connect the Dots podcast. Uh, He's got an incredible radio voice, which shouldn't come as a surprise since he's been on the radio for 30 years. My only concern is that because he's so polished that he may actually sound better than I do. Uh, But he brings a lot of value, and thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. It will be well worth it. So thanks again, and enjoy. We're really fortunate. Today's guest is Nick Garnett from the BBC. He's been on the staff at the BBC for 30 years. He's worked in commercial and BBC local radio, regional TV, and at Network Radio. He's currently a North England reporter for BBC Live. Now Nick has reported major news events around the world from Nepal, Paris, Berlin, South Sudan, and Iraq, among others. He has been described as the crash test dummy for broadcast technology, always innovating the way reporters broadcast. And since 2009, he's only ever used an iPhone to record, edit, and mix audio packages. He uses it on his broadcast around 90% of his live pieces on radio. Welcome,
0: Nick. Hey, good morning to you.
1: Uh, Anything you want to add
0: to that? Um... Not really. Just one thing. The name of the radio station It's Radio 5 Live. That 5 is really important because we're the fifth network on the BBC. So we have Radio 1, which is the pop channel. We have Radio 2, which is the music for perhaps you and me. Uh, Radio 3 for serious music. Uh, Radio 4, which is speech and plays and drama. Radio 5 Live is the the BBC's live news uh, station. Now, the clue is in the name. It's live. And so... A lot of what I do, nearly all, everything that I do, is live broadcasting, and I've, I've, I've lost count. It's in the thousands, the number of live broadcasts I've done from, from around the UK and around the world. Um, and you know what? It's a, it's a great job. It's the best job in the world, as far as I'm concerned, because if they ever realize that they pay me for it, I'm going to be in real trouble, because I'd be probably doing it for nothing if I wasn't doing it and getting paid.
1: Well, that's it. The job is to love your job so much that it doesn't feel like work.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a very good point.
1: Right, we're going to start at the beginning. So, Nick, where were you born, and what did your parents do?
0: I was born in Liverpool, uh, in the north of England, uh, right on the coast. It's a seaside town. Uh, of course, uh, you'll know it from from the Beatles, uh, but it's been an awful lot more than the Beatles. It's been, a, you know, one of the most important towns in terms of uh, trade to the United States for. For, for as long as ships have been going across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. It's, um, it's a, just a brilliant, brilliant city. The people are, are unique there and uh, a lot of what those people are, what the people are in Liverpool has rubbed off on me, my, my love of football. I support Liverpool Football Club uh, and that's, that's really very, very important to me uh, and my parents were teachers. Uh, my, head, my, my father was a head teacher at a primary school, at a, a junior school. And uh, my, my mother was a, a teacher in a very, very poor and hard, hard area of Liverpool called Toxteth, which was caught up in some rioting uh, in the 1980s. And really, that was the first time that I ever saw something that scared me as I was in it. We were driving through this area one night, we'd just been to drop something off at my mother's school. And there were riots in the streets and petrol bombs and all sorts of things going on. And probably if you ask me where my desire to, to be in news and to be a journalist came from, it's probably that was the first time in my life. I don't know whether that was the thing that, that, that made me into the, want to be the person and do the job that I, I, I now do. But, you know, that was the first time that I saw something really happening, not on a television screen, but in real life that was that was startling.
1: Well, that, that, you've answered a question I was uh, planning to ask, uh, so we'll leave that one for now. But I wanted to ask, so aside from that moment when you sort of decided you wanted to be a journalist, as a kid growing up, was there, you know, did you have dreams of, when I want to grow up, I want to be a football player or something other of that nature?
0: I wanted to be a rock god. That's pretty much <laughs> what I wanted to be from the, from, from the moment that I picked up a guitar at about 11 years old. Uh, I wanted to be a rock god. I wanted to be probably Alice Cooper for a very long time, uh, and if I'm being really honest with you, with you now, Please do. there's probably still a little bit of me that <laughs> still wants to be Alice Cooper, not quite as he is now, perhaps, but about like thirty, forty years ago, prime Alice Cooper time. That would be exactly who I wanted. I also wanted to be a vet as well, and a, and, and and an astronaut, of course, um, because I, I was I was like five years old when uh when the moon landing started and so that was that was a really important time for me uh, as it was for anyone of sort of of my age if you go around anyone who's who's sort of you know my age you can sort of like work out where they are in terms of age groups by the by the desire of them to to land on the moon and to walk on the moon so a lot of my time was spent as a child were sitting in sort of like in tubes in 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 big cardboard tubes uh, that i'd made into little spaceships Trying to realise if that was sort of like what I wanted to do in life. Um, of course, being from Liverpool in the 1970s, it wasn't the greatest place on earth to really sort of like try and be an astronaut. So, you know, a bit a bit of healthy realize, realism kicked in fairly fairly early on.
1: Well, that leads uh, me to kind of one of my next questions, which is: so, was there a lesson that you learned as a kid that sort of had a big impact on how you approach life? I don't think there was really.
0: Um, I didn't know that I, uh, I didn't, well, let me, let me explain. I went to university and I studied in drama because frankly, I'd had enough of school and I didn't want to do anything too, too arduous really. Uh, And this was a time in the 1980s when the UK was in a lot of recession. There was a huge unemployment problem. And I basically wanted to be an out of work actor rather than just out of work. So I went and did a degree in drama, which was fairly, if I'm honest, pretty useless. Um, it, n- wasn't a, it wasn't a good thing to do. Come on, sorry.
1: Now, so growing up, and you, you obviously had the astronaut <coughs> Influence, and you had Alice Cooper. Were there people that you looked up to as sort of role models growing up that either were in journalism or something that may have sparked your interest?
0: No, I didn't know anybody in journalism. I knew one DJ from uh, the commercial radio station in... Uh, the in Liverpool, um, radio is split into two sides: commercial and sort of like the BBC side. BBC side paid uh, out of a TV license that all UK households have to buy. Uh, a bit like you know, you, you have the same systems in the states in some ways. I know, uh, but in the in the UK, this means that the BBC isn't um, doesn't have to worry about commercials. It doesn't have any sort of like editorial control from from external. Mm -hmm. Uh, forces. So it's really, you know, it's a very independent organization. Now, the the only guy that I knew was worked in the commercial sector, where every three records that he played, he had to come out and play, go to a commercial break. That never really sort of like interested me, really, that that working in in commercial. I was never, ever going to be a DJ. I did mobile discos, but uh, as a kid, but that was just sort of, frankly, because I couldn't dance and I wanted to hear loud music. So that was a way of doing that. But I didn't ever do any sort of uh, uh, any desire to be a commercial disc jockey or anything right. like that in in a commercial radio station.
1: And so, what was the, your first paying job? Was it as a mobile DJ, or what was your first <sighs> that proper-
0: was probably yeah that was probably it. It was sort of like driving around uh, Liverpool in the northwest of England. Uh, my father driving me around and having to sit at the back of the hall while I did a, a mobile disco for a couple of hours for uh, a wedding or something like that. Weddings, bar mitzvahs, funerals, the lot, um, and. <clears throat> That was sort of like that was my first paid work, apart from things like, you know, um, uh, working in bars and things like that, because, you know, in the in the UK, the the regulations aren't quite as strict. And there are certain ways, especially in that time, uh, certain ways around them. There was no sort of like paper checking. So I used to work in bars at sort of 16 or 17 years old, which was very useful. I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. But um, when I left university, the first paid job I had, after I left university, was as a a lighting director in a theatre company Mm. in Cornwall, which is in the southwest of England. And I was down there, and I got a phone call from my mother saying, I'd I'd already been sort of like playing around with desire to be in radio. You know, it was something I wanted to do, because, you know, I I wanted to to use whatever few skills that I had that I'd learned from drama. I didn't want to be an actor, and I thought, hey, I'll go into the BBC and try that. So I, I, I was sniffing around, as we say, trying to see whether that was a possibility. Uh, my, and my mother, uh, it, this is so, so often the case, in it? My mother was walking around as a teacher, walking around in the playground with another teacher who said, my husband is the news editor at Radio Merseyside, which was the local radio station I'll see if I can get him in with you. Uh, And that was how my first steps into the BBC happened. Now, of course, what you have to do do at that point, though, is you can't uh, just accept that you're going to get a job. You have to work really, really hard. So I worked without pay for about nine months, uh, just working and working at the radio station. And eventually somebody said to me, who the hell are you? And I said, (laughs) "Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that you don't pay. And he said, well, we'll start paying you. And that was how it started.
1: <laughs> um, I want to ask you: Is there someone you've met that you didn't, you know, you didn't know, but you've met that sort of changed the course of your life in terms of the direction you wanted to go?
0: Um, there've been reporters that I've met that I've I've really looked up to. Um, most won't mean anything. They're just people who are in the UK who mm-hmm. whose work I admired. Uh, and and seem to have a good life. One of the one of the key things that I I remember my father saying to me from very early on was, you know, he was against me trying to go into music as a as a career. Uh, he said, you know, you, you look at uh, you look at rock gods, rock stars, pop stars, and they have a longevity of about three or four years. Uh, you look at the guy who's playing the records, and they have a longevity of about ten or twelve years. So that's. That's more secure. That's the career to be starting to look at. Now, I looked at it another way and thought, I don't want to go into playing records, really. I'll do a bit of of presentation work and presenting on the radio. But I want to try and be somebody who's got a long life. Uh, And I could see that news was the way of doing that.
1: So when when did you realize what you really wanted to do with your life, that you wanted to go into news, that you wanted to go into radio?
0: Uh, I saw a very, very, very large road traffic accident, which uh, I think left half a dozen people dead uh, and dozens and dozens seriously injured. Uh, a petrol tanker had blown up on, on a road in the northeast of England at a radio station where I was working. And I was the only person on duty that night. Now, I'd been presenting... Uh, things like the religious program, I've been presenting the politics program, things like that, not news programs. And yet I was the only person at the radio station when this happened, so I got sent out uh, and I immediately caught the bug. And it's a huge adrenaline rush when you get sent onto a story like that. You can feel the heat, you can smell the fire. You know, the, all your senses are being attacked by what's happening and your your job at that point is to try and make sense of it and try and report on what you're seeing in as um as calm and collected a way as you possibly can and for some reason uh if i if i'm good at anything in my life it's looking at chaos and mm-hmm. trying to work out what is good and what is happening at that time uh, and then be able to explain that to other people. I mean, really, if you think about it, journalists really are just, you know, gossip merchants. They hear something and then they report it again. So that's that's all they're doing. I was standing there at this this road accident, uh, just telling people what I could see in front of my eyes. It's not the greatest skill in the world. It's not rocket science, and it's not brain surgery. It's literally just explaining. But the skill is, if there is anything, is explaining it in a manner that that other
1: people can can follow and understand. Well, I want to have two comments to that. First of all, I'm assuming. That- that your ability to stay calm in chaos was good preparation for being a parent.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? I mean, you know, anybody who's sort of, um, who's, who's not being, I I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to be a parent and not have been through some of the experiences that I've been beforehand, uh, because God, it's the most messy and crazy (laughs) and chaotic job that there possibly is. I've got three kids, uh, one from my first marriage, Who's at university now in Durham in the north northeast of England, uh, studying physics, and I've got two little ones who are just going through school at the moment.
1: Excellent. Uh, so speaking of kind of like you were at this road accident and you found yourself in place, is there a place that you kind of find the most surprising place you found yourself in? Whether it was a you know a job you had or a location or chatting to someone that you did never you would have never imagined that and. I mean, if, if you think about it, here, here I am. I'm a guy in my 50s now, in
0: my early 50s. You know, some people uh, I, got, I got called a veteran reporter and I nearly I nearly thumped the guy who said that, because to me, I still feel as if I'm just starting out. I still still as if I'm uh, coming to terms with with the things and, and learning about things. Uh, and yet so here I am in my 50s. And last year I found myself in South Sudan. In the middle of a world that you nor I have ever seen before—not that even we've we've not been able to—you couldn't comprehend the scale of difference between what I saw there and what I see in my daily life. Here I am in a room at the moment. Uh, there are four electric lights on in right. this room. They're on in this area of South Sudan where I was where I was looking at the the effects of famine. There was no electricity. Wow. There were no walls, there were no bricks, there was no water, there was no food, there were no schools, there were no uh, no vehicles, there were no planes in that area. It was literally uh, subsistence living and it is such a different thing so here i am this guy middle-aged guy uh plucked out of a fairly cozy nice existence here in manchester in the the north of england where i'm normally living and you know 24 hours later I'm in the middle of this desert, in the middle of nowhere, in scrubland, in temperatures 45, 48 degrees uh, Celsius. That is not Fahrenheit. Uh, So really, really hot uh, with no food or water uh, apart from the the stuff that we had in our backpacks. It was a a crazy time and probably the most fascinating uh, and, and exciting place that I'd actually been because it was just so different from everything that I'd ever seen in my life before.
1: Wow. So let me ask you this: You, you talked about being a, a veteran uh, reporter and not necessarily liking that term. Is there a point in your career in your life where you finally consider yourself a success? No, I don't. I don't consider
0: myself a success yet at all. I don't think that I've actually got to where I want to be at all. Um, I think anybody so, where, who where thinks they're, they're they're successful, perhaps, is. Um, uh, they're in danger of uh, of believing their own hype uh, and i think that you know a little bit of uh, fragility in your own self belief is is a really good thing so i don't think of myself as a success i'm only as good as the last story i did uh, and as the last story i did was one about deck chairs on the beach in blackpool uh, you know that's uh, you know, I've got a, a, a there's a constant need to reinvent yourself and redevelop yourself uh, and come up with new challenges and new strategies and new ways of working just to try and keep on top of the game. The world is changing at such a rate at the moment that, you know, you've got to keep going and you've got to keep changing if you want to keep uh, keeping in, in front.
1: Let me ask you: How did you get your current position, and how long have you been in the position you're in now? <laughs>
0: um, I, I joined Radio Five Live about twenty odd years ago, which and, and people will think, "My God, you know, this guy's been doing the same job for twenty years." I haven't done the same job for for, for six months. <sighs> you know, it changes all the time. So uh, I cover news in the north of England. It means that, you know, whatever happens, you know, an event happens and I get sent to go and cover it. Uh, and so, you know, every single day is different and every single day is unique. Uh, in the last few years, I've been concentrating on working out ways that we as broadcasters can broadcast without all the big satellite trucks and the TV trucks and the huge TV cameras that you, you, you grow, you, you've grown up with so stripping all that away and using smartphones to be able to broadcast on so that gives you a much much more close uh way of working you're you're much closer to the person that you're interviewing and there isn't a a camera crew behind you with a a huge camera crew and lights and everything you're just talking to one person you get a very honest type of interview when you do that
1: so, so i'll be
0: work sorry go on no go on well, I'm, that's what I've been working on in the last few years. In the last year, I've um, really got away with gone away from most of my radio work, and now an awful lot of the time, I'm I'm filming and I'm making videos uh, which go on uh, either BBC TV or on BBC's website. Uh, now, you might think, "Hey, he's working for a radio station. What's he doing doing video?" The whole world of of broadcasting is changing. The whole world of journalism. Uh, is changing. And radio stations do TV, TV stations do radio, uh, newspapers do, do TV and, and do radio as well. We're all doing the same thing. Uh, and at the moment, we're in this state of flux, where really, we've got to push, push, push to make sure that the BBC, and the station I work for, is right at the top of the, the tree in terms of the stuff that we do, the stories that we do, uh, the skills that we can bring, and the quality of the work that we can put out.
1: So let me ask you this. What's next, from your perspective, in terms of broadcast journalism, as well as what's next for Nick Garnett? Um, for broadcast journalism, I think that
0: you know there's going to be far more convergence, where uh the 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 lines blur completely between uh what is a a piece for online which is you know a a website page uh, on bbc.co.uk slash news or bbc.com slash news, uh, and you'll see those stories. But you'll already see that there is video work going on in there. You know, very, very soon we're going to see far more live integration of, uh, of pictures, uh, of live pictures in, in our web pages. Uh, that's going to be happening. I mean, we're seeing that with technologies like Facebook and with, with social media as well. Uh, but that's going to really, really push out far, far more in the future. Um, and newspapers are really going to be pushing us hard. For a, a long time, people have been saying that the newspaper industry is de- dead. They've been very, very clever. You look at stuff that the Wall Street Journal is doing. You look at what the New York Times is doing. They're really at the top of their game. We have to make sure that we, we push them as far as we can. As for me, uh, I'd love to be tra- doing more traveling, traveling around the world. You know, I've been to... You know, a lot of the countries that I want to go to, but there's a lot more places that I want to see. I want to see all the countries that, frankly, are on the danger list and places that, you, that, that, frankly, normal, sane people would not even think of going to. They're exactly the type of places I want to go because that's where the stories that we're not hearing about are actually happening.
1: So you want to go there because you think those are where the best stories are? Why, why do oh, you yeah. want to go
0: to where danger is? <laughs> Uh, it's not the danger, really. Uh, You know, I'm not a a danger junkie. I've got three kids. I've got a wife. You know, I don't want to end up dead. I don't you know, there are too many people who have done that. uh, And and journalism is increasingly a a dangerous job with that respect. Um, But I want to go and see the places. For instance, a friend of mine um, uh, got in touch with me on social media today to tell me about the flooding that was happening in South Nepal. I'd been over to Nepal after the earthquake a couple of years ago. I've stayed in touch with this guy uh, and he was telling me about the absolutely terrible effects that the flooding is happening in the south of the country at the moment. They have nothing. They have no infrastructure. They have no road systems at all. Uh, It's absolutely awful what's happening there. And that's exactly the type of thing that I want to go to see. I want to get there, and I want to be able to report on it, to be able to tell people exactly what's happening elsewhere.
1: And how is what you're doing now? Are you doing anything in particular to prepare for the ability to go to these faraway places, these less safe uh, places?
0: Well, I mean, we it's a constant thing. I mean, I always have bags packed. Um, uh, I have body armor and bulletproof vests and helmets and things in the garage, uh, which is always fun for the kids to go and open the carriage door and look at that. Um, I I always have preparations. I live about three miles away from an airport. uh, So, you know, I can go at at the drop of a hat. The thing is you can't actually prepare for news events. You can be sitting in uh, 10 o'clock on a Friday evening and the phone will go and say, someone says, have you seen what's happening in Berlin? There's a flight going in two hours from 100 miles away. Can you get there? Right. And you you just pick up your bags and go. And that's you know, God, that that, that is a huge adrenaline rush. Um, uh, it's a very exciting part of the job. Uh, what you've got to do is you've got to get ready, get get out, and then really push down that excitement because your job is to go and look at what's happening. And as I said earlier, look at what look at the chaos in front of you and try and make sense of it.
1: Exactly. Now, if you weren't, a, it sounds like you really love what you do, and I'm curious if you thought there might be a career that you might have ended up saved for something that kind of happened along the way.
0: Um, I, I there was one stage where I was going to be a, a travel agent okay. uh, when I was about sixteen or seventeen years old. Places. Uh, yeah, exactly, In interesting places, go into, go to interesting places, you know, I never wanted to be in the armed forces, that, right. you know, they do an awful lot of travel as well, but I never wanted to be in that, um, the, there wasn't anything else really, I struggled at the end of university because I didn't know what I really wanted to do at that stage, even coming out at, with with my degree at the end of my education
1: And what helped you um, make that decision? What Sorry, say that again? What helped you make the decision when you didn't have an idea of what you wanted to do and then all of a sudden um, radio. It was it was
0: somebody knowing somebody, you know, if I'm being utterly honest, I'd been knocking on the door. There's a um, I'd once tried to get in a job at a commercial radio station and I'd been sending them, you know, letters and got Noah with that. And I'd been uh, phoning them and I got Noah with that. And then I got a phone call and they said, uh, you Nick Garnett? And I said, yes. And they said, uh, you, you sent are you the one that sent us the the box of tea bags? and i said uh, yeah and they said uh, the box of tea bags with your your name written on and phone number written on the back of every tea bag and i said uh, yeah and they said um, was the pen poisonous and that was all they were concerned about the fact that i might have poisoned them um but uh it was the that was the breakthrough moment with with that station uh because they wanted to go and see me so uh they they said okay oh, you might you know who who the hell is this guy who's who's written on every tea bag uh, with his name and number, uh, we better go and see, see what he's about. And so they got me in, and I, I did a bit of work there as a result of that. Needless to say, I'm not with that radio station now. I'm with another one where I didn't do that. And it was a non-poisonous pen. I yes. have to good, I, I good hasten to,
1: hear. to add. Good to hear. i got one more question, then we're going to go into the nine rapid-fire questions. So from your 30 years of experience in the radio and broadcast field, if you could go back in time and change one decision you made what would it be? Oh, that's a
0: tough one. Uh, the, I would, I would have, cha- I would change the degree course that I went on, because uh, although I'm very aware that I still use quite a few of the skills that I learned in drama in terms of the way that you communicate with people and the way that you can create eye contact and, and empathy when you're you're trying to interview someone, the fact is is that if I'd done a more rigorous Degree education, I would have had more skills uh, that that could have sent me off into different avenues. Uh, You know, so I really regret the degree that I did. Um, And you know, if if it's something that I've said to my children already, you know, do a degree that will lead you somewhere. Um, So you know, as I say, one of my boys is at university studying physics at the moment. I don't think he's going to have the same problem when he comes out of university at the end and go, oh, my God, what the hell can I do now? You know, He's going to have a fair idea, and there are going to be people knocking on the door wanting him rather than the other way around, which is what I had to do. Excellent.
1: So now we're going to jump into the nine rapid-fire questions. And if you could just kind of off the cuff, first thing that comes to mind, some of them are straightforward, some of them require a little thinking. So is it better to be a planner or a doer? Doer. Are you a risk taker or uh, more risk averse? Risk taker. Yeah, Not surprising there. Uh, is it better to make connections online or offline?
0: Offline because you can see the look on their eyes.
1: What's more important, the journey or the destination?
0: It depends if you're on holiday or not. If, it's, if you're on holiday, the journey is the worst thing possible. If you're, um, if you're working, destination definitely.
1: Name something on your bucket list. Moscow. Or,
0: actually, no, not Moscow. Um, North Korea and Iran. Wow.
1: What one book would you recommend to help people be more successful? That's an interesting one. The problem with uh, with journalism books
0: or books about broadcast industry or, or or the media is that they're out of date as soon as you as soon as they're printed. They're you know, they're useless. There's no point in learning from a book about journalism. You have to go out there and do it. But the one book that I can think that I I'm looking I'm looking at my books at the moment. The one book that I can really recommend is uh, a book called The ISIS Hostage by a guy called Puck Damskard, who was a journalist who was held for 13 months in Syria, uh, uh and he was out doing his job just as I go and do my job. It's a it's a book that grounds me. And whenever I think about going somewhere else, I think about that book. Uh, uh, and if I'm going to a dangerous situation, I just think about what happened to him. Thirteen months in captivity an absolutely hellish existence. And eventually he was he was found and he was he was rescued. Unlike so many of the, the IS uh, hostages. Um, and, I you know, I could reel off the names uh, of, of so many people who've been killed this guy managed to survive and that they're the lessons that I take from that
1: book. Excellent. Name one of your favorite movies. That's a difficult one. That's a really, di- I mean, I,
0: I, I, I don't know. I, I, at the moment
1: I'd say probably Dunkirk. Excellent. Here's a tougher one. Then what would the title of your autobiography be? Um, Shit happens. Excellent. Uh, finally, if you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? It would be a, a device.
0: This is so geeky, this, but it's, it's such an important part of my job. It would be a device that would mold together the internet connections of three or four networks uh, into one single signal that would enable me to broadcast from anywhere in the world, uh, from any network in the world, at broadcast quality speed. So a really, really fast internet connection, mobile internet that's faster than cell cell networks at the moment, uh, to be able to broadcast from anywhere in the world, just using your simple mobile phone, cell phone.
1: Nick, excellent. Thank you so much. First of all, uh, before we sign off i want to know how people can find you online social media really my
0: my um, my instagram and my twitter accounts are at nick garnett bbc i don't really do facebook that much um but for for various reasons but but twitter and instagram are normally where i hang out
1: wonderful well nick thanks so much i really appreciate you uh coming on and being my first inaugural guest to this connect the dots podcast and i want to say nick Thank you so much for helping us connect the dots. Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for giving me your attention. I appreciate your time. And if you made it this far to this outro, that means you may have listened to the whole podcast, which is awesome. My hope is you got some value, some little nugget out of this piece of edutainment. If so, I'd be very grateful if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a glowing review, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. You can visit our website, Nine Dots Podcasts, for all the deep, rich content. Thanks again for helping me connect the dots.